0: Welcome to Romans One. This is Denise McAllister, your host, and today we're going to be talking about free will, liberty, and how that applies in our personal lives. It also applies, obviously, in in politics, as far as our attitude toward political liberty and what the government can and cannot do. To have this discussion today, I am joined once again by Jeff Dornick. He's the founder of Gatekeepers. Thanks for being here. It's great to have you again, and this is gonna be a deep topic we can do it and it's exciting I wrote an article about this that people I'll I'll link to with the show so that people can follow along or look what we're talking about from the article but I think it's a real important issue a lot of Christians do not understand free will liberty and we don't really value it the way that we should I think in our society even as we talk a lot about liberty so thanks for being here it's always great to have you
1: of course, yeah. I'm gl- glad to be back. The first episode was a lot of fun, and glad to be back again. I mean, there's nothing better than having a, a Calvinist join you to talk about free will. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, I studied Calvinism. I'm I'm quite shaky on my tulip these days because I have lots of questions about it, I, but we can get into that. Uh, I, I guess I would still be characterized by many as a Calvinist when it comes to my um, soteriology and my understanding of salvation, but I do probably veer a little bit more into a Thomistic viewpoint when it comes to total depravity and all of that, but we will get into it. Uh, As far as liberty, the premise of my article that I wanted to, to write was that God values our free will so much that he allowed the fall to happen. That should give us a sobering mindset when it comes to free will, liberty, and not imposing any kind of authoritarian will upon free human beings. I've always found it helpful when it, when you're understanding anything about human nature, human societies, to go back to the beginning. I do this with sexuality. I do this with various issues with human identity, and it's just as relevant when it comes to free will. Going back to the beginning, how did God make us? And the paradigm of understanding these things in light, light, light what happened in the fall and what happens in redemption. The creation fall redemptive narrative is helpful for us to have a proper understanding of these issues and also to have a respect for the complexity of them. This is something I think a lot of people don't spend the time thinking through. They want easy answers. They want black and white answers. They want a syllogism that's pure with really good tight premises so we know that our conclusions are perfect But that's just not the way it is in this fallen world. Uh, Sometimes we have to leave things up to mystery and paradox, yet we can still understand a lot about the paradox and about the mystery. And one of the great paradoxes, of course, is God being in control of all things, God knowing all things, God being sovereign, yet man is free. And that's what I'd like to explore in that, in the creation fall redemptive um, paradigm for us to really understand this and how to apply it today.
1: Yeah, well, you yeah. know it, it, what's what's interesting, you know, too, for me coming out of the you know pretty pretty hardcore five point you know Calvinistic background and, and all of that is you know I, I totally see that o- over uh, simplification, I think of of this issue of free will versus you know God's sovereignty and all of that, and you, to a certain degree you 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 see two different extremes. You see the people that are you know like you know God is sovereign over, over all things and there's essentially nothing that we can do and so if we're saved it's it has nothing to do with ourselves it's all it's all god and that sort of thing and you've got the other side that it's all us not god and i feel like there's you know obviously there's bible verses that talk about both aspects of that which again makes it complex a little confusing at times but at the same time if we keep studying i don't know if we'll ever fully grasp the ins and outs of it all but we keep studying and keep trying to, you know, figure it out and understand it. And it it helps us to slowly get a better picture and a better idea of the way God works, I think, in all of this.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I was inspired to write that this today. Um, well, I read it yesterday, uh, with Kellyanne Conway's statement where, you know, don't worry. You'll get your liberty back just keep wearing your masks or doing lockdowns whatever you want to do or you'll get it back when well when the government says we're taking your liberty away today but don't worry you'll get it back you should be concerned alarm bells should be ringing in your head uh you know the government here to help you is a scary thing to hear as ronald reagan said so I, I think we need to understand why liberty is so important. And I always like to go to the foundations of things and not just quote people or, or talk about, you know, things like, oh, liberty's great and we have to have liberty. It's part of our American rights. You know, we need to fight for, fight for liberty, give me liberty, give me death. I wanna know why. Why is liberty so foundation foundational to human existence? Why is it so foundational to our American heritage and our American founding? In our American way of life, we need to understand these things from a basic ontological created order kind of understanding about who we are as human beings, and why liberty and not being coerced to do something, even you know, in the name of law, because unjust laws are coercion. And you know, so if you're threatened with punishment because with an unjust law, that is a coercion. That is a violation of your liberty and your freedom. And God doesn't even do that to us. And I know that sounds shocking to people because they think, oh, God, God is the big authoritarian in the sky, right? God is the, is the one who forces us to do things. But that's simply not true. So I would like to unpack that. Let's start with creation, how God created us, because we need to understand who we are in our identity as God's image bearers to really understanding everything else that follows. So when God created us, he created us in his image. And part of that being in his image and essential to being in his image is to be a free creature. Why? Well, he's free. And so we are in his image also free. That doesn't mean we're autonomous. It doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. I can't fly. I can't go out and violate God's laws moral laws or physical laws, but I'm free to make choices. I have a mind in which I think and I have a moral capability in which to choose good or evil when our parent first parents were made god they were pure they had pure rational thinking and they were pure good they were righteous they were perfect and but they had free will and god gave them that because one thing god wanted for us and the creatures that he made were to make creatures who love him and love each other and love his creation love is the moral imperative and the moral mandate of human existence to love you have to be free because you can't be coerced to love someone you have to choose love you can't be just an animal driven by instincts you have to be able to think and make that choice as a subject to choose another subject as the person that you love so it's essential to be in being made in the image of God who is love to be free and that's how he made us and, and he made us that way, even at the risk of knowing that we could choose wrong. We have the capacity, in the very essence of free will, to choose. We could choose good, or we could choose evil, and of course, we know how that story went. So yeah. do you have yeah. thoughts
1: on, on that? Well, yeah, I, th- I, I what's interesting is as you're as you're describing, as you're describing that, you know, I'm seeing. Uh, kind of the parallels playing out, you know, with it within a lot of the like the political system, like how you had mentioned even with uh with like Kellyanne Conway, and and her statement. Um, but but what's interesting to me is like as we're seeing this, I think I think we begin to get into this idea of like even when we look at the government, we look and see okay, how how is it behaving? It's like it's wanting to force. The American people, when we, when you see these leftist you know, governors and the Democrats and, and even some Republicans, it's like they want to force the American people to behave a particular way or a certain way. Or they want to force us to believe a certain way, whereas when you see our founding fathers, it was, you know, let's take a step back, get the government out of this, and then let the people decide what they want to do with their lives and that sort of thing. And there's an interesting parallel there when you're talking about, you know, free will will versus, you know, God's sovereignty and control over everything, and you you kind of see those parallels. When you look at the church, even, you you begin to see the people that hold these different uh, theological positions, that seems to be playing out in their political ideologies as well. Like, you see a lot of Calvinists going down this Romans 13 route, and you see a lot of the the non-Calvinists are going down the freedom and liberty and being a little bit more you know, politically active, maybe we could say. And so it's interesting as you're kind of describing this and uh, the compulsion and, uh, and the force and all that kind of stuff. And you're seeing this play out and you're seeing how even the church is falling into a lot of these different uh, perspectives, depending on their theological positions, too, I think.
0: Well, I think what's forgotten a lot is that foundational essence of who it is, what we are and who we are as human beings, that we are free creatures and that authority um, now after the fall is there to restrain evil, but it's not there to impose will on another. And so that's one thing that we need to understand. There's a difference between putting laws out there for us to obey, to freely obey we can freely obey them or we can disobey them. We will suffer the consequences, but they're still free choices unless we're compelled and coerced through threats. That's a different thing or unjust laws. Uh, so freedom is always maintained uh, you know, because it's part of who we are in our very nature as human beings made in the image of God. The thing that happened, a lot of people might be confused by this in that what happened at the fall was that we did not lose our Ability to choose. We lost our moral ability to be perfect. We lost our moral ability to be truly pleasing in God's sight because He's pure, right? And so we need to be pure and righteous and holy um, as He is to commune with Him. But we lost that ability. We lost that moral ability. But we did not lose our natural ability to make choices. We're still somewhat reasonable. We're not purely rational like our. Um, unfallen parents were. We have chaotic thinking. We don't form right premises. A lot of the times Uh, we need revelation in order to understand truth. Uh, But we have still that ability to choose. And that's because we're still free creatures. We're still human beings made in his image, fallen, sinful. We don't have the moral ability to even have faith in him of our own free will, because our, our will isn't free anymore; it's in bondage to sin. So, in that sense, our moral will, our moral ability, is in bondage. It's it's fallen. It's it's unrighteous. It's sinful. Um, this doesn't mean we can't choose to do good things, but those things pale in comparison to what true righteousness is, because we're still tainted by skin, sin. We're corrupted, and we're born in sin. All have fallen short and fall short of the glory of God. So. Uh, But we still are free in that. And that's what people need to understand. We have a natural ability of freedom that needs to be honored and respected and lived out in order for us to be able to love, in order for us to be able to live, to worship, to pray, uh, to, to carry out God's mandates in this world, to marry and have children and seek dominion over this world. And all of that involves free will and freedom and choice. This is why tyranny is so terrible. It suppresses the very image of God within us and uh, imposes another's will onto our own. And this is what, something our founders understood. They built a system in which people were free, but government was there to restrain evil, which is very biblical. That's what Romans 13 says. God created earthly governments not to impose their will onto people. And especially to violate our will, or to violate God's will, um, or to to impose unjust laws. I mean, the Old Testament is filled with admonitions against kings for violating rights, for violating um, the, the will of people through coercion and oppression. Um, but we need to understand that the the point of of government is there to restrain evil, and not to impose anything for our security and our safety, and and all of these things against our rights. This is, you know, I, I think that this is something that's lost in the church today. It's lost in our society. The the value of true liberty is lost. You either have libertarians on one side saying that we're autonomous and we can do whatever we want, you know, as if we're not sinners and that we always make the right decisions, or you have people who are, who are like well, the government can impose its will, or I can impose my will on someone else, or churches can impose their will. On someone because they don't like what you're doing or whatever, that's not how God made us to exist. He honored free will, even even at the risk of us falling, even if that means that we hurt ourselves or hurt each other. this is just the nature and the messy business of free will.
1: Yeah, well, and and that makes that makes sense too. I think you know, and earlier you were you were mentioning you know like a lot of the good things that uh, that come you know along with free will. But then there's also we we also have to understand there there's the justice side of it as well when, when you start getting into are you punished because you made a bad choice and you chose to sin, or are you punished because you were preordained uh, to have this sin nature that you can't do anything about? And so, you know, even when you start getting into this idea of of true justice and punishment and for sins and all that kind of stuff, I mean, true justice wouldn't be in existence if we didn't have a free will, I guess you could say.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You have, if you're compelled to do everything, if you live according to some kind of determinate plan, uh, then that would be the height of injustice and the height of unfairness. I know a lot of people like say, well, God's God can do whatever he wants. And who are you to question him? That's not really an answer because you have to talk about who God is and him not even violating his own nature. So he is a just God. And we need to keep that in mind when you're looking at his relationship with his creatures. And so in the fall we we made the choice, you know, and we suffer the consequences and we lost our moral ability. We suffer the consequences of our sinful choices. We suffer judgment. Um, and punishment in, in many, many different ways because of sin. Government is used in that in, in the civil realm, of course, to to punish evildoers in, in the civil realm. So that's not a violation of our, of our freedom at all. We're making our free choices. We're just choosing because we're in bondage to sin to do the wrong things. Not all the time, but, uh, you know, uh, civilly, not all the time. But, you know, in, in our relationship with God, we got to understand how perfect God is and how imperfect we are in this fallen state we're free but we're bound to sin our, our nature has changed in our ability our moral ability is chained up and to sin and so when we choose to sin we suffer the consequences of that he's not making us do anything he's not violating us in any way the the hardest thing i talk about in my article is the understanding of original sin that that probably gets people more about seeming like it's unfair that you're imposing some kind of punishment onto some onto us for something we did not do you know we're born in sin well i didn't make that choice (laughs) you know isn't that a violation of my free will by punishing me with death Uh, because we all die right uh and how can that be fair how can that how is that not a violation of our free will and two things to understand about that is again who we are by human nature one Adam was our, whether we like it or not, was our representative head legally before God. And his choice had an impact on us that affected all of us. We all understand this, even in in civil society. Our society goes to war. I didn't make that choice, but you're part of a society by contract. And so the federalism, the head of, headship of Adam, this is where we... Lost our ability to stand before God because we, He is our as our federal head, failed, and that was imputed to us. You know that condemnation and that guilt for that sin, because that's who He who was our head. We wouldn't have chosen any better. We wouldn't have done any better. But that's what what is what it is. There's also the organic element. We're all organically con- connected there is a, a sin nature that seeped into us, into our genetic pool, that it just is. And since we all come from the original source, we all are sinners at an organic level. That's hard to wrap our minds around. We're not born as blank slates. You know, I have Irish heritage. I'm sorry, but I was born with a hot-headed temper. <laughs> this is something <laughs> I had. I didn't choose that, but it's it just is. It's part of my organic being. And we're all like that. And we're all like that from Adam. We have this. It doesn't violate our free will. It's the state of our existence. So when we talk about free will, we talk about our minds and our ability to make these choices. And we still have them. God respects them. He expects government to respect them. And he expects us to respect that free will in each other.
1: Yeah. Well, and and as you're even as you're explaining that, I'm starting to you know see the parallels between what you're talking about here with dealing with like original sin and just this kind of mentality, and this whole argument and debate over um, equal opportunity versus equal outcome that that we're having within even like government and things like that. And I think the thing that you know when we're looking at the uh, the political ramifications of this kind of like ideology, I think a lot of times what we're seeing. Is we're seeing the left is saying that if you are a particular race, then you are predisposed to either have an advantage or disadvantage. There's nothing you can do about it. It's kind of like you know this determin this deterministic um, ideology. I think to a certain degree, as opposed to saying you have you have just as much opportunity as somebody else maybe you have to overcome more maybe you have to accomplish more in order to get there because you're starting at a different point but you still have the opportunity to succeed i think when you're looking at it from the theological perspective it it's like you know yes adam made that adam made that choice through adam sin entered into the world and into all of us but at the same time we still have a choice ourselves to actually commit that sin or not maybe we we're predisposed because of our sin nature to go down that route, but we still have the decision every single time to sin or not to sin, and I think that that's that's really what it comes down to: is that sure we've got we've got the sin nature, but at the same time we could have chosen not to sin, and yet we still did.
0: Well, we definitely can choose, and, and that that's the point: is we. You know, they, we almost have to look at it, there's the action of sin, there's the state of being and sin as a fallen human being that's been separated by God, from God as a race. So the only real original sin in which we're guilty for before God that separated us is the sin of Adam that was imputed to all of humanity. But when it comes to our everyday lives, it comes to our personal individual responsibilities and what we'll be accountable to God for it's that our actions. I know mean, we're accountable to God for our state that we're fallen in sin, we have to be redeemed from that in order to, you know see Him in order to be saved. And that's the whole point of salvation is to be saved from that original sin to be regenerated from the state of sin that we're in. But there's also the the daily choices that we make. And we can we can choose. We still have enough in us to be able to choose to be good or not good, but not enough to be saved, not enough to be righteous, not enough to stand in God's presence and save ourselves, but enough to make these choices that I'm not going to go out and become a mass murderer just because I'm born in sin. We all we all have our choices to make and we make good choices. We make bad choices. Is that is that clear there's there's this you know uh, legal condemnation of us that has been brought down to us by adam there's the organic um, infusion of sin within us that we're born with that we have to fight the flesh the fallen man but within this it doesn't mean that we're helpless before it in our everyday actions with other people and we still can choose to to be good and to do the right things and when you don't god uses government he uses families he uses authority figures in order to punish in order to get us back on the right track
1: right yeah that may, that makes that makes perfect sense and I, and I think also too it's it's really fascinating seeing uh how you know especially here in in the americans you know governmental system and the way we've got our society set up and everything and the way that the founding fathers originally intended it it seems like there is this direct parallel back to our theology uh, and in our in our belief system on on the gospel and salvation and all of that kind of stuff it's just it's like a physical representation of that you know when we're talking about freedom and and liberty and our ability to choose to do right and wrong and and all of that kind of stuff it does seem like it's it's almost like it's a metaphor for the gospel and salvation if if we look at it from that perspective
0: Well, there's also a passivity that can come if you're thinking, well, God's in control or things are in control or God, you know, works through government. I don't really have to do anything. That's just simply not true. You're to be active in this world. You're to make choices. Uh, You're to make free choices, which is why it's so important that you live in a free society so that you can make those free choices. Love is a very big part of that. Again, what is your command by God is to love others. You cannot do that if you're not a free human being this is why tyrants totalitarians the first thing they attack are intimate relationships they like they have to break apart um, connections and human connections and human relationships friendships they destroy it because love is is the very essence of expressing our freedom if we don't have those human connections we're not free we're not free to live out the mandate that god has given us so it's very important to fight for liberty as a Christian in order for us to carry out the mandate that God has given us to love each other, to love this world, and to carry out his you know, creation mandate, as well as to spread the gospel.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and you know, I grew I grew up, you know, obviously in a, in a very, you know, you know, Calvinistic household and we in you know, in within the MacArthur crowd and all that kind of stuff and you know, MacArthur had the book Why government can't save us or can't save you. I forget what the exact terminology was there. Um, but you know, I remember I remember it it being reinforced to me uh, throughout throughout my entire life that um that essentially getting getting politically active and getting involved is basically you're you're essentially you're not trusting in God's sovereignty and in God's control because you're taking it upon yourself to do something if that makes sense. And then more re, more recently, i've I've kind of like, you know obviously reevaluated that position that position and you know changed and things like that. But you know you look at you look at church history, it, you know you see somebody like a, like a Martin Luther. It's like if he didn't actually stand up and do something, uh, we probably wouldn't have had the Reformation. If you go back and you look at Moses, if he didn't actually go do something, if he didn't actually go obey, and he's just like, no, God, I'm just going to trust you, you take care of it, God might not have worked through him to bring Israel out of Egypt. You know, and And I think that there's those examples, and that's really what kind of woke me up, was this idea of, well, I kind of need to be, Active. Maybe I need to take a stand. Maybe I just need to go do what I feel like, like like is the right thing, and God will use that in His sovereignty, as opposed to me just sitting back and saying I shouldn't do anything, because then that's not trusting in God's sovereignty. That's been that, that was that was a interesting wake up call that I had over the last few years. Um, you know, it's something I had to repent of myself. You know.
0: Well, I think one thing people get confused about with God's sovereignty and God's will kind of going to sit back and think, well, God's uh, like this fatalistic idea. The God's in control. He's going to make everything happen. And I just need to find my little calling and carry it out and not really get involved in what's going on around me or anything else. That's simply not how God works. God's will for us that we know clearly is for us to be obedient to him, to seek his ways, to follow his ways. And we cannot do that if we're not free. We can't, again, I come back to the mandate of love. You cannot carry out the mandate of love if you're not free. It must happen. And Satan, evil, wants to take away that freedom because it wants to take away that mandate. So we have to be active always in our society, in our homes, in our world. To fight those forces that seek to take away your freedom, because in taking away your freedom, they're taking away your ability to your choice to love, which is acting in obedience to God. And we do that in all kinds of different ways. I mean, in our different callings in life and our different uh, vocations that we do. Uh, well, I'm very different in how I carry out my callings by God than you are, but... The one thing I I am called to do that's the same as you is that mandate of love. But again, we have to be free and we have to be able to do that on a daily basis. And government is a big threat to that freedom. Uh, Any other kind of authoritarian figure, there are churches that are authoritarian that take away that freedom and that ability. So God doesn't do it, and, and they always do it in the name of safety and security, if you notice, and this is how totalitarian authoritarians work, they're doing it for your, greater, for your good, the greater good, for your safety, for your holiness, for your righteousness, um, and taking away your ability to make choices um, for your own good. Well, God didn't even do that. God does not take away our choices for our good. He tells us what we're to do, and if we don't obey, you're going to be punished. But that's different than taking away the ability to make the choice in the first place.
1: Yeah, Hawaii. That's like even like what we're seeing out here in uh, out here in uh, California with uh, with Gavin Newsom. I mean, like literally, we're seeing it's uh, it's illegal to uh, to have indoor church services. It's not only that; it's illegal to have in-home Bible studies. Uh, and then uh, I just saw—I think it was yesterday—LA uh, LA County uh, put out a reminder on Twitter that it's illegal for you to get gather together with anybody outside of your immediate household. And so you start getting into this, and like like what you were explaining just a minute ago was they're they're di- they're dividing us, they're keeping us separate, they're taking away those relationships and and that ability to, to love on each other and things like that. And uh, it, it's really interesting just how tyrannical things are, but again, it's all in the name of protect you, safety. Um, you know, we gotta we we gotta beat beat this uh, invisible enemy of COVID nineteen and and all this kind of stuff. But at a certain point, you start getting into if I choose to make to take that risk. Of potentially getting COVID-19, why can't I? Why does the government have to force me to do some of this kind of stuff? And again, it's it's an interesting parallel when you start getting into uh, you know, this, all of this like free will and salvation and all that and all of that kind of stuff. It's all it's like it's a it's a it's a picture playing out right before our eyes, uh, you know, symbolizing a lot of this that we're talking about.
0: Well, they'll say they'll make the justification by saying that they're protecting others, that they're doing it in the name of you can actually harm someone else so that we have to protect society. So this is how we're doing it. But that's twisting the facts. I and mean, there are times that laws are put in place in order to protect people um, from harm and you know, can't yell fire in a, you know, movie theater kind of thing. Uh, those are very specific and they're ones with very clear cause and effect that if this happens, this person will be harmed. They're very clear and they must be very clear for for a government to make a law that's protective in that sense. That's not what's happening here. It's not a clear cut thing of I'm protecting anyone. It's it's very much about control. I mean, the ver- nature of many of these laws, like my um, governor just passed, you can't drink, ha- restaurants can't serve alcohol past 11 o'clock at night. That makes no sense. When it comes to protecting anyone, the inconsistency in the ma- mask wearing, the inconsistency of times which stores can be open, which can't, which stores can't, there's this is not a measure of protection. This is a measure of control. And when you have government making laws that are unjust and that violate people's liberty to to um, associate to worship even what to do with their own bodies which is a problem with the mask. people don't realize and you know, that's a problem because you're telling me what to do with my own body you know my body my choice right so <laughs> it's a violation of that and I know they're saying it's in the name of you know you're protecting other people but that's just not that the data isn't there for that the science isn't there for that it's very inconsistent in that if you really want to protect everyone purely then you really can't leave your house because we leave trails of ourselves wherever we go. <laughs> the uh, virus still gets out. Masks are being worn, and yet cases are still on the increase. So this is not a black and white thing about what's protecting people. It's actually about control. and This is not how we're supposed to live as human beings. It's not how God wants us to live as human yeah. beings.
1: Yeah, well, it's it, and even and even even if we're going down this route of you know protection and all that kind of stuff, keeping people inside is not what's going to be, be beneficial at all like I, I remember listening to a podcast with a uh, uh, Brett Weinstein I, bu- I believe and he was on Joe Rogan he was talking about the actual genetic code of covid-19 and how certain things are spliced in it's it's created in an indoor lab so it's it's predisposed to success with within indoors and then what does our government do keeps everybody inside where it can actually thrive i mean th- see how much COVID-19 has spread while everybody is in shelter in place being forced to stay inside. It it's it's pretty crazy when you actually think about it that way.
0: Well, it's weird when you when you go outside in ultraviolet light and 95 degree weather where viruses die and people are wearing masks and and shuffling from one indoor space to another instead of going out and breathing and Letting the virus shed, getting getting away from other people in in the outdoors, and still wearing the mask. Still being fearful. It's all very strange. It's it's all very manipulative. It's not about protection. It's unjust laws that violate liberty and violate our freedom of choice, and is inhibiting our ability to again have um, intimate connections with each other. It's inhibiting our worship and our love of God. It's inhibiting our love of family. Uh, family members can't go to hospitals to be with dying family members, even though nurses and doctors come in and out all the time. It, it, none of it is consistent. None of it makes sense. It's it's quite manipulative. And there's also not a weighing of risk. You know, we, we talk about, they talk about protecting you from harm, but what about the other harms that are happening? You know, the unemployment, the this uh, mental health issue that's going on, the relationship disruption, the e- economic disruption. All of these are very important when it comes to looking at the consequences. The growth of government itself, the empowerment of these governors, and if Biden gets elected, I'm sure we'll see an expansion of federal power over over us that will be blanketed. What you see going on in these hot spots of tyranny across the country will become federal and none of us can get away from it. This is all very problematic. And and I'm just trying to get people to have a greater appreciation for liberty as we are as human beings, how important it is, how ingrained in us it is as being made in the image of God and how necessary it is for us to live the mandate of love that he has given to us and commanded of us to live in this world. And we haven't lost that. I mean, we, we're sinners you know we've lost our moral ability to be saved and to save ourselves and to be righteous as we're called to be but we're still human beings we're still free god still loves us and respects that freedom in us so much so and here we come to the hot topic of salvation <laughs> um it is even in salvation he doesn't violate our will in order to save us yes calvin this, he does not violate our will in order to save us. That's how much he respects free will. He didn't violate it in the garden in order to save us from ever experiencing death and evil. I I think about that. I mean, he, he so respected who we are as his creatures made his image that he risked the fall, evil, death, sickness, destruction, war, all of that to come in to respect the choice of man. You know, in our fallen state, he, he, he still respects our, our free will. You still have your will in place in order to choose him. And, and let me explain by that. I am not talking about that we have the ability in our own selves as our fallen state to choose to be righteous. But even Calvinist, what happens is in salvation is not that God violates our will and forces us to believe in him. What he does is he sets our will free from the chains of sin. So think about yourself as a little rat in a cage, right? You're in the cage. You can choose what little tunnels you go around, but you can't choose to get outside of the cage because you're in the cage. What God does is he sets you free from the cage. And when setting our will free, We choose to have faith in him. We can't help but have faith in him because we're made to be righteous. That is our original state of being is to love him and to want to be with him. That's why he speaks in terms of when you were slaves to sin, you're now slaves to me. That isn't a a violation of the will. That's a state of being. And so when he sets our wills free, that His regenerative power, then we choose to love him freely and we are set free in Christ. We're set free to love. And we don't use that freedom to go sin again. We use that freedom because, as we are originally intended to be, to be righteous. So if, if he respects our free will so much, we need to respect that in each other and as a society.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that that's 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 a really uh you know good good way to put it. I had I had a pastor who was one time you know teaching a series on uh, on you know Calvinism and all of that, and the way the way that he explained it with, in dealing with salvation is it's like, you know, if you look at like a hawk, right? Uh, they're predisposed to going for the meat, and you know w- within the salvation example, that would be essentially sin. You know, we're always going to be choosing ourselves, our pride, our you know selfishness, and you know and that sort of thing but if if we want if we need salvation which would be to go for let's say let's say a vegetable a hawk is never going to of its own will go for picking up a carrot it's going to go for picking up the rabbit it's almost like god had to literally change the the will of of the hawk open up its eyes to oh that's that's the better choice and i think one of the, one of the things that made sense to me when it came to that is the hawk could have always gone over there and picked up the carrot but he never would because he's he's always wanting always wanting the rabbit or the meat or something along those lines. And for me that 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 always made sense. Some other people it didn't always make sense as well, but for me that kind of made, gave me that proper perspective of understanding we do have that free will, but but oftentimes because of our sin nature we're we're picking the wrong thing even though we could have always chosen salvation you know, at, at any moment. Um, and that's where it kind of gets back into personal responsibility and that sort of thing.
0: Uh, well, I, the only disagreement I would have with the hawk illustration, I, I would probably more put it in terms of, because I don't think God changes our, the nature of our will. Right. Uh, you know, the hawk, the hawk, I would, I'd probably use more of the analogy of a hawk that's fallen, that's in a state of fallenness is always going for rocks to eat. You know that's just what mm-hmm. it does because it, it's corrupted, it's twisted by sin and disruption, instead of going for the meat that is designed to go for. Right. So what God does, it's chained to this intent, this will is bent, and the emotions and the affections of sin are are bent on on the rocks. And it may have a, an eye and an understanding that oh, I should go for the meat. But I really, really don't want to because I'm compelled by my sin nature to go for the rocks. And what God does is he sets that will free from the desire of the rocks. And so that the, the hawk can then choose what it was made to choose and made to be and to choose the righteousness. You know, and in that reconstituting re, um, of, of the human will... Yeah, you know, it's a journey because it's not a perfectly we're not perfectly there yet. We still have the sin nature we struggle with. We're still not glorified. We're still not perfected in this life. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of the infusion of the unlock. Enough to unlock our change so that we can have faith in him, so that God's regenerative power comes in to us, enabling us to be what he had created us to be. But that journey and that battle, that's what the battle of the Christian with sin begins, you know, the wrestling that, we, that Paul talks about in Romans 6 and, and 7, where he talks about, you know, I do what I don't want to do, and I'm struggling, and I know what I need to do. It's that wrestling with the flesh, but we are going to win that battle, because I, I believe that we have been made to become what we are truly supposed to be. And that in that battle, it can take some dips and it can take some falls. That doesn't mean that you can just go off and like, I I don't think most Christians, if you've been regenerated, can comfortably live in sin. I just don't. I think you can have periods of it like David did. But boy, it weighs on you. And, you know, it, it, it you come back, you come back and. Uh, it's a it's a long journey. It's a struggle. And I know Catholics have a whole system of different types of sins and all of that, and how that's handled with them. Um, but the struggle's still there. And, but you're regenerated. You're made new. Your will has been set free from that bent, that desire to love the lesser instead of loving the greater, and and having faith and trust in Christ. Because the fallen man just does not want to trust in Christ. I mean, that's just the, the facts. They just the fallen man does not have faith does not have that kind of uh, connection and communion with God that's so necessary for salvation. It takes the work of God setting that soul free and that will free in order to love God. And that's what he does for us. And, and in bringing us into this new state of, of sanctification that is a long, that you know, working out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, that's all talking about sanctification, that long path. After he's justified us and regenerated us by his power.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and and in I think the, that it, well, and and that's one of those things too, where a lot of times, you know, like my crowd, being in the Calvinistic crowd, I think a lot of times we mess up this idea uh, of sanctification. And I think a lot of times we have to remember that 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 is a lifelong process. You know, it, it's it's constantly you know becoming more Christ-like, but but it's it's going to be ebbing and flowing. It's going to be we're growing. It's we're going to be going through growing pains. It's going to be difficult. There may be still be some sin in one area of our life, while the Holy Spirit's working in another, and it's this gradual, you know, um, you know, process that I think a lot of times within, you know, at least from like a lot of what I've seen, a lot of people said will say like, well, once once you're justified, you're no longer going to have any of that desire for sin, and it's almost like they'll never go so far as to say you're going to be perfect, but at the same time if there's any habitual sin at all, then they'll, they'll, then they'll take that to like an extreme of saying, well, now you got to question your salvation and things like that. And I think it's just one of those things where just as, just as we're seeing in, like in real life, whether it's entrepreneurship or it's, um, you know, it's politics or whatever it might be. A lot of it is, is a constant battle and struggle and things like that. And I think that that can also be applied to, you know, the spiritual side of things with like sanctification and all of that as well.
0: Well, it helps to understand the breakdown of of salvation and that the different aspects of it. There there is a legal component and our a covenantal component, in our standing before God, um, like you're in a courtroom. That's the best way to picture it. Uh, when we're justified we're declared righteous by christ and his righteousness is imputed to us at that moment at that moment we are made worthy to stand in god's presence because of christ's righteousness that's been imputed to us in a forensic legal way and so that's what happens in justification but also what goes on is god regenerates us and that's you know, that's when i talked about the fall when there is that the legal standing that we fell but there is also an organic spiritual aspect that we're infected by sin. When we're regenerated, that is the beginning of new life within us, um, that the righteousness is being made to become our own. That's a lifelong journey because we live in this fallen flesh uh, that's connected to our spirit in some kind of mystical way that I don't really understand that union, um, until that dies and we have a new body in glorification, we're, not, we're always going to struggle with an essence of sin, um, but the battle is, is a winning battle, and it's, it's one that we can rest in as far as our salvation because we've been justified legally before God. But that working out of that justification, working out of that regeneration, working out of the sanctifying work of, of um, God's spirit in us is a lifelong process. And we need to show each other grace during that and ourselves grace in that. And God shows us grace in that. That does not mean that we go on sinning so that grace may abound, which is what Paul said. But that we're heading toward the goal, toward the prize that, sets, that is set before us. That's what the working out of salvation is and it's a very essential part of it um in our it's all it all goes together in, in our um under in our quest <laughs> for heaven so it's also something that that catholics misunderstand a lot of the time not always but a lot of the time about protestants they think um you know that we completely ignore works in the sense of that we need to be growing in christ that we need to be um you know Doing good things, no, no, that's not true. What we're saying is that we we do work things out. We we are showing works. We are growing in in Christ, but those do not justify us. Um, justification comes first. Justification puts us in right standing with God. That's when we're, that's when we have the robes of white put on us, and our Advocate who is Christ is standing at the throne of God, speaking on our behalf as the adv- adversary is accusing us. We are we are covered by Him. But we don't just stand there. That just isn't the end of it. We have a life to live. And we have a life to live freely. We have a life to live with choices to be made. And, you know, the the Christian is really the only truly free human being on the planet, I believe, because they're the ones who are getting the right. They've got the moral, some of the moral ability back. They've got the rational thinking, the right thinking back. um, And they're working it out and making choices along the path um, as, as they have been made to be as a new creature in Christ.
1: Yeah, that I mean, yeah I mean that that make, that makes perfect that makes perfect sense now now with with dealing with all of this you know and you know and your article you know which w- obviously was inspired by like a lot of what we're seeing like within uh, within politics but then you're taking the spiritual aspect of it um, but how how do how do we in your opinion how do we deal with this mentality of it's like people actually they, they don't want the freedom and liberty. Right. So it, it's like they, they want to pass the buck off to the government. And maybe maybe some of that there again, there's some parallels going on there with, uh, you know, theology and things like that. But it se- but it seems like, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm out here in, a, in California where everybody is a, is a lefty. But it seems like there's a pretty good group of people that they don't want the freedom and liberty. They just want to be taken care of. They want the government to come in with the solutions. How, how do we deal with that even just as as Americans?
0: Well, there's always that struggle for you know, putting security above liberty, putting equality of outcomes before liberty, because liberty is hard. Liberty it takes faith. Liberty takes trusting uh, that God has a purpose. I don't think you can live a truly free life if you don't think it has any meaning and purpose, because it's hard. It's unpredictable. People, are, you don't know what choices people are going to make. And they make choice because we live in a fallen world. They make bad choices. They make hurtful choices. Uh, we live in a fallen world of sickness and disease and threats. And while we can have some measure of protection, the government's there to protect against evil by restraining it. Parents are there to protect their children. But, you know, as adults, when we grow up, it, it's a difficult world to live in. And we let fear drive out love and the mandate of love. And the mandate of love has to be carried out. And to do that, it has to be done freely. So I I think people just want comfort. We live in a very feminized society. We live in a very soft society because of technology, because of feminism, because of the loss of masculinity, the loss of fathers, this whole other podcast I could do, uh, that we live in this very soft society that chooses Security before liberty. Liberty is a grown-up, masculine, uh, you know, uh, mature way of living. And to be able to make these free choices that can have risk to them and that people make wrong choices or that life is just, you know, full of death and disease. And that, again, that doesn't mean that we don't take steps to protect at times. And it doesn't mean that You know, that we don't care about security and safety, but there has to be a balance. But there also has to be an understanding that really the freedom, and I'm not saying this as a libertarian who believes in autonomy. I don't think we're just out there on our own doing whatever we want to do. I'm talking about true liberty of making free choices for good reasons, Um, and that we need to be able to have that ability in order to carry out the commands of God and to be obedient to him. And to live as good people who are, you know, living like like our founders wanted us to live in a a mutual civil society. You have to have freedom to do that. And if you're not going to fight for it, then either you've been sucked into comfort, you have been sucked into a fear mindset, uh, you've been sucked into a lazy passive mindset because you think God's so in control that you do nothing, which isn't true. Um, or you, you just, you, you, or you love power. You may be the ones who are on the side of, you know, you want more power over people. <laughs> there are those. So those are the elites, the experts in, in the world. They, they want the power. None of that is how God planned and wants us to live. He wants us to live freely and trust in him. We saw this. So in, in Samuel, where Israel was following God and God was their King. And they looked around at the other nations and they said, oh, oh, we want, we want to be like all the other nations. We want to have a king, and we want that. And, and God said, no, you need to follow me. Keep your eyes on me. You don't need the protection and the status or whatever you were looking at to have for a king. You look to me and trust in me. And freedom is so much a part of that. You, know, you, you trust in God uh, without being sitting back and not making any choices.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and, and also, too, I think, you know, like I like how you said that uh, freedom and liberty is is messy and, and in, all, in all reality it is. And I think, you know, that that's also true on, on the spiritual side of things when you are going through sanctification, because we do have sin. We do mess up. We do deal. You know, we still have, um, you know, that sin nature, you know, in us that we were born with, you know, and I think and I think maybe to a certain degree, just in the same way as a lot of people uh, when it comes to government, they want to rely on the government because it's easier I wonder if maybe to a certain degree there's there's at times too much of a reliance on you know or putting too much of an emphasis on God's sovereignty, on the salvation side of things because it takes away a lot of the messiness of actually dealing with uh, with a lot of the you know sin and and things that we have to deal with on a daily basis
0: yeah the sanctification aspect which is yeah. messy freedom has been messy since since the garden it was messy before the tree <laughs> you know it's been messy in the fall it, it's it's messy in sanctification uh but we're you know but we still maintain that freedom in order to make those choices that god wants us to be to me, making we're in his image bearers we're not automatons we're not puppets Uh, you know, we're not here to look to the government to take care of us. God takes care of us, but he does it as a a father who knows us and who respects our liberty. And when when we take our eyes off of God and we put our eyes on the human authority, the human authority is going to abuse it every time because it seeks power. And it's corrupted by sin itself because it's made up of sinful human beings. So we need to look to god you know obey government when it, according to its just laws not according to unjust laws because then it's not being what god designed it to be according to romans 13. we don't obey the government in everything paul didn't and you know, jesus didn't so you know you just you obey the the government in the lord as and you know so but we in all of that we keep our eyes on god as being um the one who's in control you know has per- when i mean by that i don't mean fatalism i mean he has a meaning and purpose he has a design for it all and part of that design and part of that meaning and purpose is for you to live as a free human being with all the risks that that involve involves and and live in obedience to him that's one of the messages of ecclesiastes and everything's going to change everything's in flux I and mean, we live in a fallen world I mean, there's there's war and peace and happiness and dancing and tears and laughter uh rich people get rich and all you know p- you know poor people don't get rich <laughs> there's all kinds of messiness through it all the thread is that god has a purpose for us and to live in obedience to him to walk in his ways to love others you know to love mercy to, to walk justly you know and these are the things that he wants us to do and keep our eyes fixed on But we can't do any of that if we're not free people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that's that's really important, I think, for for people to remember. And I think that that's why that's why the I think that this fight that's going on within our country right now, like I think even as we're heading into this election about, you know, what kind of country are we going to be? Are we going to be one of freedom and liberty? Are we going to be one with, you know, total government control? It's really going to dictate, you know, you know, the soul of our country. And but again, there's that spiritual aspect as well, that this is really a reflection of of, you know, the gospel and, you know, do, do we trust in God? Do we do we believe in freedom and liberty? Do we do we believe in free will? How does all this work out? It seems like there's there's the physical representation and the spiritual representation. We're having the same fight just in two different uh, aspects.
0: I agree. And we need to keep our focus on the fact that we live, like I said, in a fallen, messy world, but we can't get let fear We can't let a desire for safety and security rob us from our duty before God. And that that duty before God has to be carried out by free people and free thinking people, people who are allowed to gather together, who worship together. And that's such an imperative. And and our founders understood that. They understood because they came from an area where they were oppressed and they didn't have that freedom. And when they came here they wanted that freedom and then granted they had all kinds of messed up ways themselves of, of instituting it as we know. They they were imperfect people, but the ideal was there and and we need to keep our eye fixed on that and understand who who we are before God as people, as individuals, as human beings and how we're designed by him and how essential it is not to be controlled. That that isn't some kind of pride, that isn't some kind of not caring about other people. That's essential to our nature. And it's, it's one built actually on love. And that's a message that's not being heard today
1: yeah ab- absolutely and I, and i think you know as as we as we're trying to figure all this all this kind of stuff out and you know even dealing with like uh, government tyranny and you know like churches literally being shut down and us not even like legally allowed to essentially have relationships out of our own household and and, and all that kind of stuff i th- i think at a certain point we're really we're really in the midst of this battle we're really in the midst of this you know fight for you know, the soul of our country, whether whether we can even, you know, minister to each other and encourage each other and, you know, have personal responsibility and, you know, be able to make something of ourselves like all of that's being taken away before our eyes. And I, I'm really hoping that it will allow us to have a better sense and a, maybe a better appreciation if we can get all this back to Again, freedom and liberty that we'll have a better appreciation for it because of the fact that it has been taken away from us for for a period of time.
0: And that that freedom, that liberty, isn't again freedom just to do whatever the heck you want to do. The freedom and liberty is designed by God is freedom to be what you are truly being, meant to be. It's not freedom from righteousness or goodness. It's not freedom from you know your responsibilities. It, it's freedom to be the true person that God created you to be. We're truly free when we are imitating God in Christ. We're truly free when we have our minds set on the things of God, when our hearts are set on the things of God. That's true freedom. That's true reality. When the image that we look at in the mirror is a reflection of how we were designed and created by God, not who we imagine ourselves to be and not what our fear makes us seem like things are, but true reality and living out God's purposes as free people in love. That's our calling. So I, on that note, I think I think we've got covered it and I really do appreciate you once again joining me to discuss these big issues <laughs> that are you know, facing the nation and I hope we can have people just think deeper about these kinds of topics. I really appreciate you joining me
1: today. Of course, it was a blast as always.
0: You have a great day. And next time I'll be here next week. And thanks for joining Romans 1.